Welcome to Scouting for Growth, where we explore the intersection of technology, innovation, and business growth. I'm your host, Sabine van der Linden, and today I'm excited to introduce you to our esteemed guest, Alex Taylor. Alex is the Global Head of Emerging Technology at QB Ventures, where he specializes in evaluating disruptors and leading investments into companies that are reshaping the insurance industry. With over two decades of experience in the internet world, software development and telecommunications, Alex brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise to the table. As an innovation and disruption specialist, Alex has spoken in front of a wide range of audiences on the Horizon 1 to Horizon 3 innovation and disruption journey and how to navigate the bridge between them. He firmly believes that the next decade will expose the insurance industry to the greatest upheaval it has seen since the establishment of Lloyds of London. So in today's conversation, we will be discussing the key trends in corporate venture capital for 2024. We are going to talk about QB Ventures' approach to scouting for growth, the role of technology in QB Ventures' growth strategy, and the challenges and opportunities in the insurtech space. We will also explore the future of insurance, the impact of emerging technologies like AI, generative AI and cybersecurity, and how QB Ventures is fostering a culture of innovation. So whether you are a startup, a scale-up, a grown-up in the tech space, a big tech, an innovation leader, or another CVC, this conversation promises to be insightful and inspiring for you. Stay tuned as we explore how to scout for growth and drive innovation in this insure tech space. Hi, Alex. So great to see you today. An absolute pleasure as always. Alex, thank you so much uh, for joining me on Scouting for Growth. And the first question I always ask my guests is, you know, who are you? What got you into QB Ventures? And what is the path to running a corporate venture capitalist uh, environment at CVC where you collaborate with the startup and help them get better access to your organization? You know, I, I think it's interesting and we often reflect on this in my team that everybody takes a different path to CVC and we all bring different capabilities from you know our past our background and my background is in technology and i've been a technologist for as long as i can remember but you know if there's one thing that i've learned through all of the startups that i've had over the last 25 years odd and you know all of the the enterprise jobs that i've had in a bunch of industries it's that technology doesn't matter unless it has an application to, to what you're working on, to something that's meaningful, to something that can deliver results, not just to an organization, but to the customers as well. And, you know, the thing that, that drives me and the thing that I try to do when I, I look at younger companies is to look at the implications of what they create, not just what they've created itself, but what difference it will make. Why will this change things? Where will that change come from? Actually, Alex, it would be great 
to get your definition of what corporate venture capital means and what got uh, QBE to build QBE Ventures? Yeah, and look, it's a great question. And there is a tremendous difference, I think, between pure venture capital, which is purely financially driven, and, and corporate venture capital, which is largely around the way that we approach the implications, the application of an organization's capability to an industry that they're focusing on. And, you know, when we, we start to evaluate young companies, you know, the first thing that we look at is, would we be a customer of this organization? And why would we be? And that's really the thing that drives us. You know, honestly, I, I can say that we would never invest in an organization that we wouldn't be a customer of. That's not to say that we're immediately going to take advantage of that capability. It could be something that we look at two years down the road. But taking the organization on a journey to why this space is important, why this is something we need to focus on, is just as useful as looking at whether, whether we'd be a customer tomorrow. You know, this is something that we can use immediately. And I think there's a distinction between the here and now and the places that we need to be, the places that we need to go. They're both different, but they're both just as relevant. Yeah, that's superb. So let's start with what we are here for, trends, trends and strategy in corporate venture capitalism. So Alex, what are your key trends? Those you foresee for 2024, which is going to affect your world? Yeah. And look, it's, it's such an interesting question because 2023 has been a tough time. And, you know, talking to a lot of younger companies, it's it's a bit of a bloodbath out there. You know, there's a lot of extremely capable younger companies that are, are clawing to demonstrate the value they have. But due to the macroeconomic environment, are struggling to not get the traction, but to get the funding. And you know, what we're going to see as we go into 2024 is the survivors of that time, uh, the ones that did manage to demonstrate the value that they offer, start to see the light of day. And I mean, looking at the the insure tech sector, which is, of course, what, uh, what I focus on, uh, particularly one of the things that we're seeing is a, a personalization of insurance data. And this is one that fascinates me because it transcends personal lines and commercial lines. The one thing we're seeing is that more and more uh, organizations are appearing that help us to specialize products specifically to the risk that that particular organization represents. And, you know, those that have seen some of the, the sessions that I've presented in, in a number of forums globally will know that, you know, I'm passionate about geospatial. I'm passionate about, you know, understanding the, the details of liability products through, you know, generative AI. But the one thing that crosses all of these different arenas is that it's becoming dramatically cheaper to create a product that prices risk at the individual level, whatever product or line that happens to be. And this represents a, a challenge, of course. You know, it, it creates an environment where you know, insurance starts to deviate from what it was designed to do, which is to essentially insulate people against the risks they represent, you know, to, uh, to have a broad swathe of cover across a sector and to, to pay claims to those that experience a loss. But the risk that we run here, of course, is that if we specialize, uh, personalize too much, then, you know, we're essentially not going to be in an environment where we can cover a risk that we know with almost certainty will result in a loss. So there's this balance that needs to be created between the ability to utilize data in, in insurance lines and the need to preserve the thing that makes insurance special, which, you know, I, I strongly believe enables the economic environment we operate in without insurance you know people can't take risk uh in, in any arena 
And, you know, we need to make sure that in light of all of the challenges that we see, and this is this is climate change, this is cybersecurity, you know, this is the, the emerging challenges in property risk, that we still preserve what makes insurance great. And the best companies in these spaces are using a lot of the very advanced technology we have now, you know, in, in understanding cyber risk and understanding you know, large risks that are complex to understand using generative AI. They're creating insurance niches, regardless of the fact that it could drive you know, challenges to the insurability of certain risks. The responsibility of the industry is to make sure that we create that balance. This is um, this is interesting because a lot of the risk you actually have just mentioned, Alex, are for me that balance between the physical asset risk and the intangible asset risk. And as we have this commoditization of technology, which allows us to personalize offers to the customer of one, and what we are seeing in some ways with generative AI, if we can actually crack that net, we can actually customize something for one individual, but at the end of the day, insurance is about mutuality is what you're actually explaining. If you're insuring a group, and so some will have losses and some will not, and so therefore the group will cover the overall loss for, for, for the, the peer group. But what is your view as we, as cyber, where as we are using more um, detail level of data, as we are looking at climate and are able to now project and prevent, what does that mean from an intangible asset viewpoint? What does it mean to look at digital risk, if I can call it like that, Alex? Yeah, and and look, this is this is an area that that really drives me. So one of my more recent startups uh, was in the cryptocurrency space, and you know, the thing that I think a lot of people know about cryptocurrency is that you, as a, an operator in that space, will get daily attack attempts trying to steal the value that your company's protecting. And, you know, I worked as a, a data center architect for a number of years, you know, and we would see a multitude of attacks. So I, I've spent a long time in the space of looking at the relationship between the preparedness of a company, a cyber attack, and the ramifications of, of preparedness or lack of preparedness in terms of, you know, what eventuates. And, you know, it's, it's been fascinating joining the insurance industry about 10 years ago now, looking at the way that we underwrite or have classically underwritten cyber risk and the connection to the reality of what drives those losses. And if there's one thing that the industry has done a lot of in the last five years, particularly, it's start to connect the dots of an understanding of the, the actual factors that drive a company's preparedness and what drives that loss. And, you know, as you start to look at some of the, the nuances, the specificities of the questions asked in cyber risk underwriting, you know, we've gone from this sort of high level view of, you know, do you have backups? Do you have good password policies? To, you know, many people will remember from a couple of years ago, questions that got into the weeds of, you know, do you use Log4J in your organization? And, you know, the, the Log4J saga was a really interesting view of the depth of that, where we started to ask questions that would have led to an understanding of risk. But many customers didn't have the ability to get into that specificity. In fact, many customers said, what on earth is Log4J? And, and it's a valid question, of course. What we have a responsibility to do is to give customers the best of both worlds, which is not to ask them questions about a, a sector that they, they shouldn't have to have an understanding of in order to run their business. 
And this is the challenge in many lines we're seeing now, but particularly in cyber, you don't want your customers to have to have a, a cybersecurity degree in order to buy a product. In the end, the whole point of an insurance product is to protect against a risk that you yourself can't mitigate directly. Uh, and this is this is what we're starting to see, is this partnership between the identification of a risk, an insurance product, and the resilience against that risk through remediation. And you know this is this is a thesis that I have across many different business lines. It's what a customer chooses to do when they're presented with an option to fix something that they didn't know about, but can be fixed in many cases cheaply. You know, if they choose to engage with that and to remediate, those customers are generally in a pool that represents a substantially lower loss ratio. And this is true, I believe, across, as I said, many risk classes, cyber, property, you know, climate-related risks and exposures. It, it's fascinating. I think that we're at a, a juncture in insurance at this point because we can collect behavioral data around not just the consumption of insurance, but the way that people manage their risk and exposure. And you know, we can look at the relationship between this longitudinal factor and the product itself. Yeah, it's interesting what you actually uh, mentioned and partly the, the risk you talked about, which is cyber, uh, which is an area which uh, I've been evaluating and educating myself on for the past year uh, through actually a lot of great interviews I've had actually, Alex. And it is true that we don't know what we don't know. And, you mm. know, knowing that you could start with a simple double factor, two factor authenticator to using your authenticator on your phone, to uh, using a VPN, to going to much more sophisticating uh, solutions such as uh, Ubico Keys. You know, I didn't know that at the beginning of uh, last year. And so it's about education and potentially as we go and buy insurance, you know, as we answer those questionnaires, getting that educational video or that educational um, realization that, you know, there are little things we can do to protect our businesses for forever, if I can call it like that. So Alex, based on what I just said, how does QBE Ventures plan to leverage this trend? to scout for growth in 2024? Yeah, it's it's such an interesting question, I think, because as I said, there's a lot of blank space that can be exploited in looking at ways to grow products through simplification. And that's a trend. You know, the more specificity we deliver to any product line, and cyber is a key example of this, the more challenging it is to underwrite. Because on one side, you, know, you can take more underwriter time, you can take more service provider time to understand the risk. But what you're doing is eroding margins because you know all of that time and expense to underwrite, you know, either a customer gets sick of you and they go somewhere else, or you know you spend the earth trying to make sure that there's you know risks in your portfolio that you want to underwrite. The, the place that growth comes from is through partnership. And this is really something that I think it's important to focus on because this, this emerging class of organizations that leverage partnerships particularly effectively in order to del deliver risk insights specific to a product line that allow you to get both the insights themselves that you can underwrite from, but in a way that doesn't create additional friction to the customer. So, for example, I mean, there's a, there's a classic example in cyber insurance in that your exposure to ransomware 
is directly related to an understanding of the backups that you have as an organization. So, you know, you cannot have your access to your data removed if you have an air-gapped backup uh, that you perform on an hourly basis. You know, if, if you do get hit as an organization, you can simply go back to your backup and restore it. Understanding the quality of a backup that a particular customer has is extremely time consuming. Uh, it means that you either have to ask the customer and trust them, or you have to get very invasive. You have to go and look at the customer's specific details of their risk. You have to run software on their internal network. It's it's something that most customers don't relish because it is, you know, quite rightly, it's invasive. Uh, there's this emerging class of organizations that are combining insurance products and insurance data with companies already providing a service that we know and trust. So, for example, you know, backup providers for modern uh, business infrastructure have been around for the better part of 20 years. Uh, why go and independently verify that something's in place if a provider of that facility can tell you already? So why not create an insurance product that combines what they know with what we want to know? It's no skin off the customer's nose because they're already using the service. And, you know, we can give them a better insured price as a result of what we can discover from that. Now, the opportunity to do this kind of thing across cyber, across property, across liability, across workers' comp, it, it's massive. And some of the best companies out there right now are leveraging exactly that. It's creating more insights into customer data on risk without increasing friction. There's so much you know, hunting space for venture capital in that area. Uh, yes, that's super cool because we want that seamlessness, right? And uh, we are all on those mobile devices, iPads, smartphones. And so that's the way we want to engage. And that is where I think there's most of the friction because still today, there's a lot of products we cannot access from our mobile device. We still have to go to our desktop. So mm -hmm. Alex, can you share some success stories uh, within QB Ventures? Um, some of those companies you have worked with that exemplify your approach as to how you are growing your ventures within QB and enabling the bigger group to get advantage and le lesson learned from how to collaborate better with, with, uh, with ventures. Yeah, absolutely. And look, there's there's so much to say in that space. And look, I mean, as many people who listen to me speak will know, I'm passionate about understanding physical risks better through geospatial data providers. And, and this is something that's of relevance to all of us. You know, as as climate change starts to take hold, as our understanding of the you know, the historically static nature of physical risk starts to become a lot more dynamic, the value of understanding what may be is starting to become a lot more relevant. And as we start to understand, you know, uh, global warming, sea level rise, you know, the, the impacts of, of events like hurricanes and wildfires, it turns out that there's so much that we can do prior to the event. And what the best carriers and insurtechs are doing in this space is starting to communicate with, with owners of physical risks prior to the event to say, you know, did you know that the nature of your risk, the condition of your roof, the you know, material you built your property out of in this area is particularly exposed to a thing that's becoming more challenging? And, you know, this is true of wildfire. It's true of hurricane. And, you know, we did some really interesting work looking at, at Hurricane Ian last year. Uh, there was a direct correlation between roof condition of properties in Florida and the likelihood of that resulting in an ingress of water from above and roof damage after the hurricane itself. 
But you know, the question that I'm asking is what happens if we engage with these customers? What if we give them access to roof repair businesses? What if we tell them you know, what about their risk is going to cause that loss and see what they do? And you know what we've observed is that in many cases, customers are, are quite surprised to learn that they're particularly exposed to something. But in almost all cases, they're willing to do something about it. Now, it's this partnership and the emerging nature of insurance itself from purely a risk transfer product to what I like to call a resilience product that makes this industry so exciting right now. And you know the, the opportunity to do something truly special as a result of that is profound. And it's something that we have a collective responsibility to do. So for you, what roles plays technology within QB Ventures? Because it's part of your strategy and you mentioned yourself, technology is a big part of your um, past, your current and probably your future, because you started with really understanding technology to the to the very granular level, Alex. Yeah. And look, it would be remiss of me not to mention the AI boom. And we're right in the cusp of it right now. The thing that I think a lot of people haven't yet realized is the the growth vector that we're seeing in this space. And you know, looking at it at you know the, the time that we're living in, it's quite tempting to think that this is slow moving. But it's it's really important to understand that particularly generative AI is booming right now as a result of a technology that's only seven years old, the, the transformer architecture. You know, for those that haven't read it, uh, you know, the paper to read is attention is all you need. It's a little bit technical, but really interesting when you dig into the weeds of it. Everything that we're seeing in the last 24 to 36 months is as a result of that. And all of the providers we see, you know, OpenAI, the Gemini model that Google just announced, the profound impact of this is just being felt in so many different sectors. But if you look at insurance specifically, the, the opportunity to dramatically understand risks so much more quickly than we could before, you know, to an underwriter being able to look through multiple hundred page submissions and understand, you know, is this a risk I can bind? Is it compatible with our underwriting guidelines? If so, why? You know, having a machine that can reason is profound. You know, it's not just about extracting information and asking the human to do some work as they traditionally have done. It, it's the ability to, to partner with machine intelligence for the betterment of us all. And, and I think that's a really profound thing when you start to think about it. You know, we've started to, to create conceptually as, as an industry, uh, a partnership between humans and machines to make our products more effective, to make them better priced, to make them more suited to individual customers as a result of being able to get all of the detail out of submission dramatically more quickly. And we're only just starting to feel the impact of this. I, I think in Q1 and Q2 next year, we're going to see a whole bunch of carriers stand up and say, you know, we've got a system that can underwrite pretty much any product almost immediately. And this is a technology that's that's colloquially being called uh, RAG or uh, Retrieval Augmented Generation, essentially you know, using a combination of different generative models to read through insurance submissions, to uh, to answer questions on them and to propose this next action. There's a lot of companies in, in market already. There's some participants in Lloyd's Lab that are doing precisely this. The thing that I would say, though, is that that particular capability I've just described is intimidating because it's table stakes. It's very easy to do now. It looks profound and it is profound, but everybody has something similar. That The best companies in this space are going to be doing that 
and something else. They're going to be combining it into, into multi-modality. They're going to be uh, using it for, for different parts of the insurance value chain. There's, there's a lot of opportunity here and the future is very bright there. So it's interesting what you just mentioned around multi-modality because I've been testing, you know, generative AI for some of my partners for the past year um, since I guess November 2022. Um, even though, as you said, the technology I've been in development for the past seven years, and I think the big shift when I've been, you know, working and talking with the IBM team at What's Next. Uh, they explained it started two years ago. That's when the shift happened, not in 2022. It happened in 2021. And um, what I've realized through my personal journey, Alex, is that now I have a virtual executive assistant, which I need to, to train, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, I can validate as a human in the loop everything that comes out of it. I can bin it if I don't like it. I can re purpose it, if I like it, in, in different ways. Where I find the biggest challenge, I guess, with trying all these different technologies, I don't know how many we've tried this year, is that the orchestration, right? Sometimes you, you forget you have three uh, different avatar-based platform and then three text mm -hmm. video platform and another, uh, you know, I use OpenAI, but I also use Perplexity, right? So you have different uh, chat GPT models uh, with code and perplexity. And so the answers actually are very different based on the question you're asking. And so, which is great because then you can evaluate what answer from different platform might be. And so what you are saying is not just using the basics, you have to augment the basic with uh, delivering value becomes really interesting, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the really interesting trends we've seen over the last six months is what I've come to refer to as a, a digital twin through model fine tuning. And this is what some of the most advanced organizations in the space are doing right now, both in the insure tech space and in the carrier space is essentially taking off the shelf models. And you know, for those that pay attention, there's a, a lot of open source models that are appearing from, from Meta, from the Saudi Arabian government in the form of the Falcon models. And people are competing with each other to improve the capabilities of these models on the internet. It's like a game and it's it's amazing. You know, I, I love this community because they're, they're advancing human knowledge as a result of what they're doing. But the real value is in taking these models as an enterprise and fine-tuning that on information from your organization. And this is what we're starting to see. You know, don't take an, an off-the-shelf model, GPT-4. Yes, it's very powerful, but it acts in a generalized way. You, you can instruct it, uh, but it doesn't get you the best results. What will get you the best results is looking at all of the underwriting history that you have, you know, all of the decisions that you've made as an organization. And after all, that represents the, the details, the specificities of the product that, that you write and, and fine tuning a model to behave in, in that way. And, you know, I, I firmly believe that the best organizations in the orchestration space are going to help carriers to do exactly that. And, you know, that's essentially taking models off the shelf and making them more like someone that can sit in a team and be homogenous to what you want to do. And, you know, this is where we sort of cross the line from, you know, a system that's as capable as a person you pull off the street to a person that you've trained in your organization for five years on the products that you write and can replicate similar decisions to those that are being made by your teams. Uh, it's a very challenging thing to do technically, but there's already some very impressive organizations that are doing precisely that. Hey Alex, you actually also got me thinking 
you know, when you start looking at insurance, insurance has been built on merger and acquisition, right? A lot of insurers have grown because they've acquired and internalized other uh, companies. And what I've seen with uh, across my 25 years of career is that the data is siloed in different organizations often because of legacy. Now, when we start looking at AI, generative AI, embedded technology that is coming to market, we need the data to be centralized. And then we need that data, you know, that proprietary data within the insurance company to be maybe on the private cloud. But then you need to augment that with data which are on public cloud and potentially on the edge when you start looking at autonomous driving, for instance. To be able to do good content, good uh, modeling, right? When you go into building your foundation models um, by building your large language models, all this need to be super clear and super clean to achieve the outcomes. What do you see the challenge we have in, in our industry to make that happen? Yeah, and look, data orchestration is where all of the journey in this space, not just in generative AI, but in AI in general, actually starts. And it's been amusing almost to me over the last decade or so to look at you know, exactly what you just articulated, that organizations in insurance have been hoarding data you know, on the, the off chance that one day they might be able to use that data. You know, they've been storing it in databases. They have never gone back to it because it's very expensive to go and extract the insights from it. You know, structured data is one thing, and we've had a lot of structured data analytics for, for the last 15 years or so. The real opportunity we're seeing now is in unstructured data analytics. And, you know, suddenly... The, it, it's like the, the opportunities appeared in front of us where we can take all of this information that we've been hoarding for generations, literally generations, and can actually do something with it. Uh, and suddenly, you know, it, it's as if there's a gold rush. And I know that people have been saying data is the new oil for, for at least 15 years now. Uh, I, I truly think that that day has actually arrived. As you say, though, it's a non-trivial problem to solve for. And this is where regulatory and legislation comes into it. And of course, you know, the EU just passed the AI Act a couple of days ago. I think that what we're going to see is challenges around the data that you use to train a model, uh, the performance of those models when we start to run them. You know, why did you make this decision? You know, what was the output from the model? What was the input to the model? But even further back, you know, how did the model get to the state where it could make that decision? Which information from your source systems actually went into it? So we've actually got a large problem in data provenance. And that's what we need to understand is that all of these systems and platforms we've been building to, to aggregate data at the edge in cloud environments, in on-premise environments, the most important thing right now is to be able to point all the way from the raw data itself through to a model that results in that, through to a decision that's made as a result. And it's essential in order to protect the customers that we have for our products, you know, to make sure that we're taking care of protected classes, to make sure that we're making appropriate decisions, defensible decisions. Uh, but it is a very complex problem to solve. And as a result of that, I'm sure that, you know, the InsureTech community can do some very impressive things there. Well, this is... Um a time where we are going to see some acceleration. And as you know, some of the listeners uh, on Scouting for Growth include other CVCs, investors, entrepreneurs as well. I would love to go back to your investment philosophy and approach for 2024 that we can help them find out whether they can actually knock on your door. So one of the questions I have for you, Alex, is 
QB Ventures balances financial returns versus strategic alignment and innovation within investment um, into startup, grown-up, scale-ups, right? You know, the venturing world. What are the key characteristics you're looking into when you evaluate those ventures? Yeah, and look, I'm... I'm often challenged on this question because people often say, why do you put so much effort into understanding that particular organization? You know, why do you go through hundreds of organizations? Why do you, you know, go into deep due diligence with 50 of them a year? Why, you know, do you go all the way through this extremely complex process? And what it comes down to is that, that the best organizations have a, a balance of investability across multiple different segments. And it's often not about technology. You know, if there's one thing that I've learned in my career, it's that impressive technology that doesn't see the light of day it is not worth anything. And you know, being able to, to sell your product, understanding your markets, you know, understanding the, the space that you're filling is essential. So, you know, yes, absolutely, you do have to have a product that does something real. But at the same time, you know, going and sitting with your customers, even a potential customer, it is vital to this process. And you know, one of the things that, that I'm quite proud of that our team does is invite younger companies in to evaluate the what they've built and to give them, you know, essentially strategic feedback as to why we would or wouldn't buy that product. You know, even if we're not necessarily in, you know, the the you know the position of being a customer ourselves, giving them feedback as to what their potential customers are going to say, and giving them the opportunity to to iterate on that, giving them strategic advice to do that to improve their product. You know, before it, it look, I don't want to use the word embarrass, but it embarrasses them in front of a customer that they might want to secure. And look, I, I'm passionate about young companies. Now I've been in that position multiple times myself. And the one thing that young companies often want is honest feedback on what they've created. And oftentimes there are minor tweaks that you can put into a product to dramatically improve its impact. And it doesn't necessarily result, sorry, it doesn't depend on a, a dramatic change to a or investment in the product itself. It's just about perception, it's about presentation. And, and this is what we like to do both you know, with, with companies we speak to in general, but also in companies that we invest in, you know, there's no point in giving funds to a company to grow and then just leaving them to their own devices. It's almost counterintuitive. And look, some VCs do absolutely do this. And, you know, that's down to their own resourcing and strategy. But, you know, if anything, the engagement that we have with our portfolio companies picks up after that investment point. And, you know, we've got a lot of very good talent in our team, uh, you know, in areas we can add value. And often, obviously, from my team's perspective, that's in, in technology strategic advice. You know, we will you know, mentor them. We will help them to grow in their roles. We'll help them to grow their products. We'll introduce them to partners that can help them get on that next stage in their journey. You know, the, the one thing that, that gives me satisfaction is seeing a company that we know can be amazing but isn't quite yet, there yet, get to the point where they demonstrate the potential they offer. And, you know, it, it's that day when suddenly you realize they don't need your help anymore. That's the point that, that gets me out of bed in the morning. That's, that's super cool. That's super cool. And so could you tell us a little bit more as to how you support those ventures post-investment? Uh, you know, you have so many now in your portfolio. And also you mentioned climate. I would love for you to explain how sustainability plays into your choices as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I won't embarrass these startups by naming names, but I'll uh, try and be general enough that they won't be able to identify themselves. So 
if I think back over the last few years, you know, we've had companies in, in a lot of different stages that we've invested in, some quite mature, some with amazing capability that's not quite there yet, you know, some that are there but you know, need a little bit more traction in their market space. So, you know, looking at the last couple of years, we've done everything from mentoring recently promoted CTOs into uh, to understanding what their position means through to advising companies on their professional services strategy to helping them get traction with the next customer through to helping to establish a new space in market that's slightly different to the original product strategy based on you know us being a customer at QBE. And you know it, it's important to recognize that none of the things that I've just mentioned are, are necessarily any more valuable than any of the others. The thing that, that we think we found as the secret source of QBE ventures is that between technology, partnership, and strategic financial advice, we've kind of hit this sweet spot that gets companies from the, the nucleus of something great to something truly profound. And, you know, the, the one name that I will name is, is TensorFlight. You know, I, I love this organization. You know, five years ago, they created probably the, the most amazing computer vision model for uh, understanding the, the nature of physical risks of properties. Uh, you know, they have done a, a lot of amazing work, including identifying flammable cladding on buildings in London. Uh, you know, that, that saves lives, you know, and there's nothing that's greater in insurance than saving a human life. And it's, it's really interesting when you realize that as a result of all of the partnership work and all of the technology work, it comes back to people. And insurance is, is all about people in the end and helping people to recover from a, you know, a downturn in a business as a result of a loss, to, to saving a life. And for all of these things that we do, that's what we need to be proud of as an industry. And some of these insurtechs, all of these insurtechs, I would argue, are, are doing something that ultimately gets us to the point where we can have those moments where we realize if not for that, then these companies wouldn't survive. These people wouldn't survive. You know, these lives, these families wouldn't be there uh, to continue. But, you know, looking at the, the climate and ESG side, you know, it's a really interesting space right now. And again, I think it goes back to data. You know, the, the, the impact that we're seeing is that Historically, I'm sort of looking back 25 to 30 years now, we we had a lot of, of climate science data to understand the, the impact that, that emissions and other things were having on, um, on the environmental space. You know, we, we knew a lot of things about corporate governance and social impact. Uh, what we're able to do now is get to the details of those things. We're, we're able to extract the information to, to, in many cases, identify to organizations the, the nature and relationship between their risks that they ensure and the ESG components of their organizational operations. And often what we're seeing is that companies are not just pleased to receive that information, but it's something that they genuinely have wanted to do for themselves that they haven't historically been able to. And it's, it's very time consuming, as we know, and there's, there's many companies that, that offer amazing services in this space, but they're essentially questionnaires. They, they ask hundreds of questions and it takes a, a lot of rigor to actually get to the point where you get any point of value back. By utilizing a lot of these data platforms, understanding that the macro context of your organization, you know, all of the components of ESG to say, you know, as a result of what we're doing, this is the implications on our insured risk. These are the things that we could do to mature our organization. This is how we can demonstrate to the public, to the market that we're honoring our commitments. That's something that historically was very expensive to do. 
Now we're finding that it's getting dramatically cheaper. And I think a lot of organizations are suddenly realizing that a lot of the time it's, it's good news. You know, it's good news they haven't been able to surface for themselves. And suddenly some insurance adjacencies are making that dramatically easier. And again, it comes back to our old friends, generative AI and data systems, geospatial systems you know, that are delivering on that. So as we are gradually going toward the end of our discussion, Alex, I would love to go back to talking to other CVCs and um, gaining from you a lens as to where do you see the challenges is going to affect the CVC market in 2024, what things we need to consider and how you are going to do the really best to support your portfolio and bring new ideas and new thought to why CVC is actually quite cool to do in 2024. Yeah. And look, I mean, I'll, I'll start with the financial context. And, you know, as I said at the start, it, it's been a rough year in 2023. The, the high interest rate environment caught the whole world off guard. It caught younger companies off guard. Capital is more expensive. Uh, VCs and CVCs are more hesitant to invest. Now, I think that will drive quality and also obviously a, a rush to demonstrate revenue and growth and profitability. Uh, the thing that's most important right now is to pivot from an idea to something that actually creates traction for customers. And that's what we're seeing is, <clears throat> is essentially this maturity phase of companies that have been sort of looking for that opportunity to find where their product fits in market to actually doing that thing. You have to hit the ground running now. Uh, you know, five years ago, it was quite easy uh, to, to get funding. And my favorite phrase in that time was a, a pre-idea startup. And people were getting funding just off the back of who they were and people were, were throwing money at them to build something, anything. Uh, we're not really seeing that now. What we are seeing is companies that have identified a space in market, that have identified customers, even potentially before creating their product, and have started doing that and demonstrating committed recurring revenue from day one. And that's that's no easy task. I mean, I have the, the utmost respect for companies that manage to do this, but we're seeing a lot more of this because obviously in a high interest rate environment, it's it's challenging to convince an organization to invest versus the 7 or 8% systems growth they might be getting just by parking their capital in cash. So, you know, you have to be able to demonstrate that this is you know, an, an idea that is going to go exponential in, in year one to two. Uh, and that fundamentally creates a, a very different type of organization to those that we saw going four or five years back to sort of the, the first phase of InsureTech. But, you know, the thing that we're very committed to doing and what we've spent a lot of time with our portfolio doing in the last couple of months is making sure that they're prepared to sell their product. And a lot of the time, you, you've kind of got this cognitive dissonance almost. Companies that spend every day in their product that are sitting there and iterating on it don't understand the value of what they created. It, it becomes almost table stakes to them, even though the rest of the world hasn't yet seen it. Now, encouraging them to, to get out there and, and to show people what they built, to, to, uh, to talk about why it's so profound, to demonstrate why it's going to change the world. In many cases, uh, younger companies that, that we've worked with are surprised that something that they think is boring and old hat is actually really, really amazing to the companies that would be their customers. It's just a matter of getting out there and demonstrating that to the world that's willing to pay you to do it. Uh, and in many cases, it, it can actually be easier than a company expects, particularly where the opportunity you offer 
uh, reduces expense and overhead. And that's the big theme for 2024. Many in historically focused on, on changing insurance. You know, we, we saw some companies that I won't name that uh, will be all too obvious that were going to completely turn insurance on its head. They were you know, going to change everything about it. What we're seeing now is this pivot towards companies that can cut expense, they can cut overhead, they can improve efficiency. There's still you know, a lot of very, very important and interesting things to do in those spaces, but carriers are all ears to anybody that can reduce the expense while maintaining profitability and GWP. You know, it's interesting, Alex, because uh, around the same time last year, I was interviewing a good friend of mine, Liz Lanay, who is one of the editors at the FT. And she said, Sabine, we are going into a year where it's all going to be about efficiency, cost cutting, and managing your operation better. And it sounds like it's going to continue in 2024. But the, what is critical, Alex, is uh, the communication, right? It's not about reinventing and transforming always. It's about how we're going to get this cost and how we are going to bring more money on the top line. And this is just going to be uh, going back to the root of, you know, why business exists. And so hopefully we are going to see more of this. But one thing I often say to young ventures is that communication is critical. You can have the best product, you can have the best technology, but if you are not communicating it effectively with the terminology that the industry needs to see and need to understand with the right proof point, you're not going to go anywhere. But I want to ask you, as we are going into really understanding those challenges, how are you managing the challenges you just mentioned with creating a culture within QB Ventures you are proud of, uh, where uh, your team internally, wherever they are located globally, um, are helping you influence the approach of the organization and also building better, greater uh, for, the, for the group you're working with. Yeah, and it's such an important challenge, of course. And look, I mean, I, I think as people collectively understand Insurance has traditionally underinvested in technology iteration. So, you know, there's a lot of mainframes out there. There's a lot of dated systems that have been good enough for a long time. And, you know, there's not been a lot of incentive to change that. And some of the culture in insurance follows that trend. You know, we haven't really needed to engage because something's always worked. And, you know, the, the understanding that a product that we sell this year is very similar to the product we sell next year kind of dampens the spirit for actual impact innovation, as I like to call it. Now, and there's a lot of innovation theater out there where people do a song and dance about, you know, going a few years back, blockchain and drones and VR. You know, it looks impressive and, it, you know, it presents impressively, but its actual impact on an industry is minimal. And when it comes down to the brass tacks of how is this going to change things, the answer is, is not very much. The thing that we as QBE Ventures like to focus on in our organization is connecting the dots immediately to not just here's a cool company, but here's an interesting company that solves a problem that you as a team have previously articulated to us as something that you want to address. And because they're a younger company, because they're outside the business, they can generally iterate on that faster than we could internally. And now that they've done that, we can deliver this to you. But what that means is that, that my team and I spend the vast majority of our time listening. You know, we speak to an entire organization, 15,000 people at QBE. You know, we sit there and listen to, to so many people on a weekly basis to have our finger on the pulse of what's important to them. 
And a lot of the time we spend our time connecting the dots. That's, you know, listening to a person over here, seeing that someone over here in, in a different division in a similar function is saying, uh, you know, articulating a problem in a similar way. And then, you know, wheeling a company out in front of them and saying, you know, that problem that you spoke, spoke to us about, you know, let's all listen to them because I think that they've solved it. And, you know, we're not, we're not always right. You know, I'd say our, our hit rate is maybe one in five. But when you land on that nugget, of a company that does something profound that people haven't yet seen. Those are those investable opportunities for us. But, you know, perhaps more importantly, those are the partnership opportunities, you know, the companies that I want to be a customer of because it drives the industry forward. But, you know, going back to the, the argument from before about legacy, the challenge that our industry is increasingly seeing is that the future is boldly marching forward. But unless we, we modernize our systems, we modernize our approach, we modernize our products, it's very difficult to connect those two worlds together. And unless we can, we can do that, then we're going to get left behind. And the most important thing the insurance industry has to do over the next five years is to modernize, is to mature, is to, you know, to, there's no other way of saying it, to leave the 20th century behind and to make sure that we can deliver better, more effective products to our customers through maturing our cause. The keyword for me you highlighted is impact. Our job at the end of the day is to drive impact and also to connect the dot, right? That's the way we identify opportunity for transformation and reinvention to drive those top line and take out those costs from the operating model. So I want to ask you, Alex, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, where should they go? It's, a, it's always a fun one. And look, I am I'm extremely approachable. I, as you can tell, I'm passionate about insurance. I'm passionate about technology. I'm passionate about partnership. Uh, you can you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Alex B. Taylor. Uh, same on, on LinkedIn as well. Uh, I'm, I'm very approachable. So please don't feel shy. Reach out. Uh, I'm always up for a discussion and chat about anything in short tech or technology related. Alex, thank you so much for joining me on Scouting for Growth. I really enjoy our conversation and I'm sure it will be one where people will, in 2024, find some of the answers to learn how to work better with our industry. Yeah, a pleasure as always. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Scouting for Growth. Please subscribe, share with friends, and leave a five-star rating. Your rating is so valuable. I review all of them, and my team help me adapt content to meet your needs. Also, connect with me on my preferred channels. I am a B2B growth expert, so you will find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Threads, and X as well, as well as Blue Sky. All information available below. Until next, keep scouting for growth.